the 100th episode of the Rami Lavi podcast. Can you believe it? It's here. We talk about football. The Jets, they have a victory Monday. Also, the Giants have a victory Monday. Victory Monday all around for the New York sports teams, other than the Mets, who get swept in Atlanta. Zach Wilson is back, and he leads the Jets to victory on a final drive. A lot of other stuff happened in the NFL, and we also previewed Monday Night Football. All that and more coming up next. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I often talk on this podcast about breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. So if you're feeling stressed, depressed, or just want to talk, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed, experienced therapist online, and you have access to over 20,000 different therapists that you may not have access to in your area. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and 48 hours later, you're set up with a therapist that fits your needs. You can then schedule video or phone calls and have access to unlimited messages back and forth with your experienced therapist. You can also change to a new therapist at any time with no extra charge. I often talk on this podcast about how perspective is anything, and that's something I learned in therapy. I had terrible anxiety, and I learned about how changing your perspective can change the reality. So take charge of your mental health and join the over 2 million people who already use BetterHelp for therapy online today. And if you use my code, you can get an extra 10% off on your first month. So go to betterhelp.com Rami for 10% off. That's B-E-T-T-E-R help h-e-l-p dot com slash rami for 10% off your first month do it today episode 100 of the rami la v podcast and if you know me you would have thought that i probably had something crazy planned right something big oh my god it's the 100th episode blah 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 i don't sorry to disappoint um but it is a big deal i I, i'm not going to have that lost on me but what we're going to do is we're going to talk about football and what could be better than that talking about football for i guess the next little bit there's a lot to get to a lot of fun games and it's a victory monday which i don't get often and so i'm here monday morning in the studio my week was crazy as you know from last week but i'm back in the studio doing the traffic reports this morning and so uh, it's a little bit later. It's now 8.30 in the morning on Sunday mor- on Monday morning, sorry, a victory Monday. I was in the studio till about 7.30, p.m. last night, got home, saw some Sunday night football, took a little nap and came back here about 4.30 in the morning. So overall, I'd say I'm pr- feeling pretty, pretty good right now. Um, there's something interesting that I pointed out yesterday when I was working in the studio because obviously I'm probably the only one who's in this position, but... I work for the Ravens, and I'm a Jets fan. And so every Sunday when I watch the games, I'm watching the game with people who are about to do a Ravens postgame show, and they have to talk about the Ravens. And me, obviously, as a Jets fan, I'm sitting there. All I care about is what's happening in the Jets game. So while I'm working on the Ravens game, I have the Jets game up, and I'm following that as closely as I can while working on the Ravens game. And there have been some crazy parallels so far this year. If you look at the parallels between the Ravens and the Jets, the first thing is that the Jets start their season playing every team in the AFC North, which is the Ravens division, and the Ravens start their season playing every team in the AFC East, which is the Jets division. And then in week two, 
While the Jets are having a crazy comeback, an unlikely comeback against the Cleveland Browns on the road, the Ravens are blowing a lead at home to the Miami Dolphins. And then in week four, while the Jets are on the road again, beating the Pittsburgh Steelers in a crazy comeback fashion with Zach Wilson, and I'm sure we'll get to that soon. The Ravens are at home blowing yet another double-digit lead, this time to Buffalo and Josh Allen. Kind of weird how that was happening simultaneously. But let's get to the Jets game because... My life and my parallels are not what you're here for. You're here for Jets football and Jets talk. And that's the biggest thing. The Jets win. And there were a bunch of things. There were a bunch of ways I could have led this off. And there were things that I thought about uh, throughout this game. And we'll get to them a little bit later. But then I posted that video. And the reason I posted that video, if you saw on Twitter and Instagram, I posted a video on TikTok of myself and my reaction after the game just saying, oh, my God, the Jets Uh, They hold on, they win, blah, blah, blah. Zach Wilson is back. This is huge. The reason that was what I decided to go with in that particular scenario was because there are so many negative things you can look at from this game. Yes. But at the end of the day, what I said before the game remains true. The two videos, the one I put out on Sunday, the one I put out on Friday, talking about the Jets game, talking about what's going to happen with the Jets season moving forward. There is one singular focus for the rest of the season for the New York Jets, and that is to figure out if Zach Wilson is the quarterback of the future. And when Zach Wilson in the fourth quarter goes 10 for 12 for over 100 yards and a touchdown and is 5 for 5 on the last drive, and he stood in there and delivered the passes, the throw he made on fourth and seven to Corey Davis. After running, it was I think it was third and 13, he ran for six yards. He knows that it's four down territory, so he runs, picks up the six, and makes it an easier, more manageable fourth down and stands in there and delivers a strike to Corey Davis over the middle. That was the biggest pass of the game. That was the biggest sequence. And then the third and nine, he trusts Conklin, even though Conklin cost him an interception earlier in the game by tipping a ball up in the air. He still trusts him late in the game and had a big pass to him on a third and nine. Those two drives by Zach Wilson is exactly why we were excited for these games. And that's what it reminded me. Zach is back and they win. And he showed you a lot in that win. So a win is a win. You'll take it. I'm excited about the win. And I'm excited about what this kid is capable of doing clearly and it's really once they put the offense in his hands on the last those last two drives they didn't have a choice they had to give him the keys to the offense because at this point you have nothing to lose and everything to gain because the game's coming down to the wire you have to start throwing it he turned into a different guy and all of a sudden he was accurate he was on time he was confident and if we can see that we've seen it in spurts now we saw it in spurts in the first three quarters but we saw it consistently for two drives in the fourth if we can see that now stretch to beyond just one quarter and to a full NFL game. That's what we need to see the rest of the season. But how can I be upset after seeing that yesterday and getting a win for a team that doesn't get a lot of wins, at least in recent memory as a Jets fan? Now the bad, more bad penalties, more terrible coaching mistakes. And the problem with all this is the wins cover the warts. And while all those warts are fixable, these are issues that have been Robert Sala issues, and he is the head coach. He's not going anywhere. He's staying as the head coach. He's remaining as the head coach of this team. And as long as he's here, if these problems persist, that's a real issue for this football team. Undisciplined play, poor coaching, just unawareness, bad time management, bad clock management, all these things. And my only hope, because I don't want them to start losing just so that Sala loses his job. That's not what I want. I don't want Jeff Ulbrich to be gone. I don't want Robert Sala because he's so bad in the media gone and he's fighting with the media, feuding with the media. Look, winning cures all. That's always been the thing. Do I think they can ultimately win a Super Bowl if he's the head coach, coaching the way he's coached in the first four weeks of this season and going back to last season? No, they can't. But winning cures all. If they can win enough... 
and he can learn how to become a better coach. He could just calm down a little bit in his press conferences, on the sideline, be a little bit more aware, be a little bit more in the game plan. Yes, he loves the players. The players love him. They play for him. They don't give up on him. Those are all the positive things about Coach Robert Sala. Now we need to see the other things come through, which is, can he discipline them? Can they love him and also have that little aspect of, we need to play for him. We can't let him down. We need to play better. We need to not commit penalties and all those things uh, because that's extremely important. That's going to be a huge step for this football team. And so I don't want Robert Sala to be fired. I don't want the Jets to lose games just for the sake of losing games. I want the Jets to continue to win games. But I want Robert Sala to show real improvements as a head coach. And if he doesn't, then you have to start thinking about, well, what's better for the long term of this franchise? Maybe it is ultimately losing games in the short term so that they can win in the long term. Still, when this game ended, I was infuriated. The six-point swing at the end of the first half is just obnoxious. That cannot happen. You throw an interception, that's a lack of awareness by Zach Wilson. You just take the points and kick the field goal. And then on the other end... Instead of a drive being over, you commit a penalty, a 15-yarder, to give them three points. That was the difference of the game. You could have been up 13-3 at the half. Instead, it's only 10-6. And that could have cost them the Jets. That could have cost the Jets the game right there. It killed the momentum. It killed everything. And with Kenny Pickett coming in in the second half and bringing all the momentum back on Pittsburgh's side, that could have easily cost them the game. If the Jets lost the game, it would have been because of that. So we don't talk about that as much because of what ultimately happened and the Jets ultimately win the game. But if the Jets don't win the game, that is as disappointing a sequence as they've had all year. And that's what we're thinking about. So I was infuriated when the game ended because I was still thinking about all these terrible things that the Jets did. And the the winning part of it, the recovery, and it's so funny how both Jets wins this season are like this. Where the win, the enjoyment of the win happens so quickly in the last couple minutes of the game that you barely even get to enjoy it. I want to win where they play well and they're blowing a team out or they're just playing well the whole game. It doesn't need to be a blowout, but it's not so frustrating until the very end where all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, and you're shocked that they won. But if you look at this game, the defense was great. They have the four interceptions. They got pressure with three and four guys. They were getting sacks all over the place with three and four rushers. That's something they haven't been able to do all season. Bryce Huff played awesome. Quinn Williams was all over the place. Obviously, Sauce Gardner was excellent as well. All of a sudden, things are really starting to come together, and the talent is shining through on this team but the mistakes have got to stop. Now they're 2-0 and on the road for the first time since the 2015 season. That was the Fitzmagic season. And I've actually been thinking about uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick and that season a lot recently. Um, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because I see him on Thursday Night Football. But it feels like this season has a similar vibe to it. They go 10-6, and but obviously they're 10-5 and going into the last game and they lose. That team wasn't perfect. Todd Bowles wasn't a great coach. There were a lot of bad things. There were a lot of mistakes on that team, but then they keep winning games and all the winning covers all the warts. And eventually the next year it blew up in their face, right? All of a sudden Fitzpatrick didn't have the magic anymore and all the mistakes started to shine through. Some of the players that were older and veteran players on that staff couldn't figure it out. And even in that last game against Buffalo, they started to shine through and you realize this team, this may have been a lie. The difference is between that team and this team, even if this team is a bit of a quote unquote lie, This Jets team has Zach Wilson. He's not an old journeyman Ryan Fitzpatrick. If the Jets are winning games, I don't care how it looks. If he's the one leading them to victories, that's something that next year you can build on. So if they win 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 games, even if they don't make the playoffs, even if there's disappointment, even if there's terrible mistakes and penalties, all we need to see this year is Zach Wilson and the progress, and we saw a major step in the right direction from him on Sunday. 
Another thing that I love, what Brees Hall said about Zach Wilson after the game, and like I said, this is all about Zach Wilson. It's going to remain all about Zach Wilson. Brees Hall said after the game, he got in the huddle and said, let's go score an effing touchdown. And the way they talk, the confidence that he carries himself with, sometimes it's to a fault where he's scooping up a fumble and throwing it out of bounds instead of losing yardage. Like, that's crazy confidence. And sometimes it's going to cost him where he's going to make a mistake on certain throws because he thinks he can do certain things. He has almost irrational confidence. But sometimes you need that. You know who has irrational confidence, and I'm not comparing the two? Patrick Mahomes, when he's spinning around and flipping it in the end zone to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. That's irrational confidence. And no one seems to be complaining about that. Now, he's the greatest quarterback we've seen. I'm not I'm not comparing him. And don't, don't get ahead of yourself here. But um, you hear it from the guys in the huddle. Every single Corey Davis, Tyler Conklin, every single receiver... Elijah Moore, and by the way, you saw all the receivers come alive and play better with Zach Wilson. It wasn't just the Garrett Wilson show. Garrett Wilson also played really well. But all the receivers came alive in this game, and there was an energy about this offense that was different, and they all said there was a confidence and a swagger in the huddle that he has that it just feels like he's confident the entire time that they're just going to go down and score. And even though they hadn't had a lot of offense in the second half to that point, he really just felt like they were going to score and They went down and did it. And that's awesome. That's awesome to hear from Brees Hall. And now you got to build on this. You have the Tua Liss Miami Dolphins on Sunday. You have to beat them. And by the way, Tua, according to Boomer Esiason, said he might not play with the way the concussion protocol and how the NFL is treating this. He might not play again this year. I don't know if I believe that, but I believe it will be a while before we see Tua and Tagovailoa. And they don't have Tua in Miami. They're going through a hell hole right now. This is the most, I mean, When you're a head coach, and I believe in Mike McDaniel's ability as a head coach, I've talked about it time and time again on the podcast, but you're also the CEO of the franchise, and you have to deal with uh, what's going on, all the other things, and all the extracurricular that's going on with that franchise right now, that can take a major effect on what Mike McDaniel is doing with the team, and all the investigation, and all the stuff around and surrounding the franchise, and we know about that if you're a Knicks fan. If you're a Jets fan, you know about all that negative stuff surrounding the franchise always. That can take a real toll on a franchise like the Miami Dolphins. And in this week, with that taking a toll on them, the Jets have to take advantage. And they have they can't come out next week and start. Well, not start, but they can't have the second and third quarter the way they had the second and third quarter in this game. They have to be pedal to the metal right away. And Zach Wilson has to know that he's got to be fourth quarter Zach Wilson. He's got to be on his game. And by the way, that goes the same for Mike LaFleur. He's got to coach the same way. He's got to start getting Zach Wilson involved earlier in the game and trusting him earlier in the game because he's capable, clearly. And when he put the ball in his hand, Zach Wilson showed him what he's capable of. So, Mike LaFleur, start calling the game earlier in the game like it's the fourth quarter of yesterday's game and put Zach Wilson, let him cook, and let him go to work. And you got to get the Dolphins down early and beat them. The Dolphins are a good team, and like I said, there are so many... Bad breaks in the schedule for the Jets where they played teams at difficult times, right? This is an opportunity where we thought it was going to be a difficult time where they'd be coming off a loss on Thursday Night Football with 10 days to prepare. But now they don't even have any time to prepare with everything that's going on around their franchise. I think this is a great time. The Jets got a real break. This is a great time. You want to play Miami, who's actually a pretty good team. You got to take advantage and beat them. Now, the Pittsburgh side of this, it's tough because this is as bad as I've seen a Mike Tomlin Pittsburgh team, about a position I've seen them in, it's not a good place to be in as a football team. If you make that change at halftime and you switch to the backup quarterback, you have to win the game. 
and it looked like they were going to. But he throws a bad pick late, which is a great play by Sauce Gardner to get over. Apparently, Sauce Gardner, according to DJ Reed, was that he was baiting him to throw that ball so that he could then come and pop him because he knew he was going to make a play on it. I don't know if that's true or not, but if it is, I love that. I love Sauce. But if you don't win that game, then you start to have, have to answer questions. And by the way, Kenny Pickett threw three interceptions. And I don't know if all of them were his fault. You could say maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But there weren't some great throws in there. He did rush for two touchdowns. But now you cannot go back to Mitch, and that's the problem. The interview of Mitch Trubisky in front of his locker, where they're asking him the questions, and he's like, well, it's not what I want. I want to be the starter, obviously. And it's just an awkward position. And the whole time you see Kenny Pickett changing in the locker right next to him, you see him in the background of the video. Like that situation that you just created in your locker room separates and divides the locker room. And instead of talking about collectively a team, what they can do to improve and what they can work on to win, you divided the locker room. And now you can't go back to Mitch Trubisky. You just screwed yourself. You have to win that game. And they didn't. Sunday night football was interesting. That was a fun matchup. And I mentioned Patrick Mahomes, and he just makes it look so easy. That irrational confidence that we talked about, it's just there with him. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is having a breakout season. He's been incredible out of the backfield, catching the ball, running the ball. I saw someone say that, well, his numbers as far as how many targets and touches he's getting are, are down. It's, it's not very high. His usage is not high. Yes, but his efficiency has been incredible. And that's what's been insane, and that's what's going to keep him on the field moving forward. Travis Kelsey is still Kelsey, and Mahomes is finding ways to connect with his receivers just enough with his wide receivers that's not the wide receiving core that you're used to. It's not Tyree Kill, we know that. But he's finding ways to connect with his wide receivers just enough to be effective and to win football games. And he was incredible last night, putting up another 40 points on a Tampa defense that we told you before this game was averaging only 9 points allowed per game. And I told you something's got to give, and it did, and it was Patrick Mahomes. And it's funny, I mentioned earlier in the year that Tom Brady is what the L.A. Lakers and LeBron thinks they are, right? Where Tom Brady and the Bucks are actually this veteran good team that can win games, whereas LeBron thinks that's what the Lakers are, but really they're just a bunch of phony old people over the hill. And it's funny that I said that because last night, Brady and the Bucks started to actually look more like the Lakers than not. They started to look like the team that, yeah, they have all these names, but they can't really get it done, can they? I don't know if that's going to continue. But they're 2-2 two and two now. You worried yet? If we think about this from a logical, pragmatic stance, it's, look, if it was reversed, and all of a sudden, it's the Chiefs that lost, right? And the Bucks are 3-1 and one and the Chiefs are 2-2. Two and two. I'd kind of be worried about the Chiefs a little bit. You'd say, well, they just lost to a really good Tampa team. That defense is incredible. It's Tom Brady. But the AFC is so stacked, it's so loaded, that it's going to be a harder path for the Chiefs from there from 2-2 two and two, so they had to win that game but in a weaker NFC one loss is that really going to kill you you're 2-2 two and two. it's not going to have me calling the season off for Tampa they still have Tom Brady they still have this defense that was incredible to start the season think about it from that perspective you're 2-2 two and two, it's one loss to a really talented really good Patrick Mahomes team and down the stretch it's not like their offense wasn't that great they still looked pretty good. They still were able to put up 30-plus points. I think they'll be fine. That's just my opinion. Now, there's the Todd Bowles aspect of this where I just mentioned he's not a great coach. I talked about it with the Jets. But maybe he's not a great coach. And if you watch the broadcast and they keep cut, cutting to Bruce Arians and he looks infuriated, he looks like he wants to be on that sideline. And so that's not great. So there are a lot of things surrounding this team that 2-2, two and two, 
actually looks pretty good for all the things surrounding this team right now. But I think they'll figure it out. I just don't have any reason to believe they won't. Chris Godwin's back. He looks good. Leonard Fournette looks good. The defense had one bad game against an all-time great quarterback in Patrick Mahomes. But Tom Brady still looks like an all-time great quarterback himself. And I expect them to be right back in the playoffs and probably making a run by the time we get to the new year. I'm going to stay in New York because I started with the Jets. I went to Sunday Night Football for a minute. But let's talk about the Giants and the Chicago Bears. What was a perfect microcosm of the game was the final play where the Bears are just throwing the laterals over and over again. There's fumbles and it's being tipped around. This game was an ugly game. It was a gross game. It was a game that you don't expect to watch. You don't want to watch. I wasn't going to have that on my TV at any point on Sunday. I don't think it was on Red Zone all that much. And yet... The Giants are 3-1, and one and that's all that matters. This is what I talked about, the Giants being 3-1. and one, They have been so good, this Giants team, at just finding ways to win. They stay together. And yes, this team is not very talented. They haven't played very good teams. Obviously, the Bears are a really bad team. But at the end of the day, 3-1 is 3-1. How many teams? We just talked about the Bucks. The Bucks are in the NFC. They're 2-2. Two and two. How many teams are 3-1 and one right now in football? How many teams are playing this way in the NFL? Not many. And so the Giants being 3-3, three and three, it is what it is. You just have to take pride in it if you're a Giants fan. Think about both the Jets and the Giants, what they've accomplished so far this season. The Giants are 3-1, and one, the Jets are 2-2. Two and two. The Jets have had a tough schedule, probably a, the more difficult schedule of the two. And their two wins are probably games that they shouldn't have won. But you could also say their two losses were not games that they necessarily should have lost. They didn't have their starting quarterback for the first three weeks of the season. And remember what I said about the Packers, I think it was last week, where I talked about the Packers and I said... Good teams find ways to hold on when they need to, right? Throughout the season, good teams find ways to win games, even when they're not playing at their best. Even when they're not at their peak, they find ways to hold on and win games. So how can I not say the same thing? How could I be two-faced about this and say that the Jets and Giants, despite not playing well, they're winning games? How could I not look at that as a positive? Because if things improve, and like I said, with the Jets, if the coaching improves, if Zach Wilson starts to play better, for the Giants... Maybe they start to figure something out with their roster. How can I say that they're not putting themselves in a position to be successful and to actually be successful when the season comes to an end down the road? And if they start winning games early and they're building wins now, then when the team actually clicks and starts to put it together and is not making these dumb penalties and Zach Wilson is playing full-time, then you start really winning games, right? And you already built on what you have with a bunch of wins, you're not checked out. So the same, the Giants are 3-1. and one. You think they're just going to collapse? They're going to be confident. That's how it works in the NFL. Once you start stacking wins, you start thinking you go out, go out there and start thinking you can beat everyone. And by the way, I think the Giants actually can beat people. I think they could beat Green Bay and London this week. Would I bet it? I don't know. But they're playing Green Bay and London at 9.30 in the morning. And the Packers haven't looked all that great yet. And it's a London game. Those are always weird. I think the Giants could go in there and beat them. That's exactly, you talk about the Jets playing guys and teams at bad times and now playing the Dolphins at a perfect time. I guess the Giants are playing the Packers in a perfect situation. Where else would you want to play the Packers than in London at 9.30 in the morning, coming off a weird game against New England? I'll take it. Speaking of the Green Bay Packers and their weird game against New England, I thought that was the new Brady. This kid, Bailey Zope. I don't even know how to pronounce his name, Zappy. After a sprained ankle from Mac Jones that shouldn't have held him out necessarily, but he sits out and still unclear why. And then you have Brian Hoyer come in, and if it weren't for the Tua situation, he probably remains in that game, but he hurts his head, and with everyone heightened and everything about that and all the alert, 
You bring in the third-string quarterback who's never gotten a touch, a snap in practice, and all of a sudden he's leading them to victory potentially, and he's going step-by-step and toe-for-toe with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, and ultimately it takes losing in overtime? I mean, that's insane. Rodgers is still angry. He's yelling at the receivers, yelling at the offensive line, but he's starting to have chemistry. You're starting to see it work a little bit, whether it's with Robert Tunyon, whether it's with Romeo Dobbs, who I talked about, and even the new kid Watson. They start to look a little bit better. And like I said, they're still hanging around. They're 3-1. and one. They haven't looked good at all yet, and they're 3-1. and one. What does that tell you about this Packers team? They're going to figure it out. I trust that they're going to figure it out, and when they do, they're going to take off because they already have the good record, and it's the same thing I just talked about with the Jets and the Giants. Only we know that they have Aaron Rodgers and they have the talent to be a Super Bowl contender and a Super Bowl championship team potentially. As far as the Patriots, they're 1-3 and three, and this game is as good as they've looked all season. I think this was their best game of the season and they're still 1-3. It's not very good for the Patriots right now. This is as bad of a Patriots team I've seen. Maybe they start to bring it together, but if they're having games like this where they played, I think, as well as they could have played in this game and they're still losing, things are not good in New England. For Bill Belichick and the Pats. Washington played in Dallas. And we'll just run through the games real quick. The rest of them. Washington played in Dallas. And Dallas won 25-10. and 10, And Cooper Rush now 4-0 as a starter. That conversation is already going to be a conversation. He can't lose. And the Dak conversation is already starting to happen. So we might as well just welcome it with open arms. And talk about it. Here's the thing. Dallas has more reason now to hold Dak Prescott out. Until he's 100% healthy. They have no reason to rush him back. Because they're winning games with Cooper Rush. Now, at the same time, if you're Dak Prescott, you want to come back as soon as possible because you're like, I don't want this guy stealing my job. And we saw this. Originally, it was supposed to be an eight-week injury, and now they're saying four to six weeks he could be back because Dak Prescott, that's coming from his party. He wants to be back as soon as possible. But if you're Dallas, you're not going to bring back a hurt Dak Prescott over a healthy Cooper Rush who's winning you games. And I know Washington is that bad. They really are. And I think it gets to a point where they have to move off Carson Wentz because I think Ron Rivera looks at this as, I have to save my own job. They have some real weapons on this team with the offense, right? Antonio Gibson, McKissick, they have uh, the running back Robinson coming back. They obviously have Terry McLaurin and some other receivers who have looked really good. And yet they're so bad. And this is just everything on Carson Wentz. I think this is going to be the end of the Carson Wentz experiment in the NFL. A career that looked so promising at one point in Philly, but I don't think his teammates like him. And there's something about that. There's no chemistry. We talked about it with Zach Wilson, how the teammates love him. They trust him. There's a confidence. You don't have that with Carson Wentz. And right now, I think this is only a matter of time before he's gone. But back to the Dallas thing with Cooper Rush, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. And I'm sure Jerry Jones won't play into the quarterback controversy narrative at all. I hope my sarcasm translated. Tennessee and the Indianapolis Colts, no better quarterback in the NFL. There is no better quarterback than Matt Ryan when he's down two scores. The second Tennessee went up big, all of a sudden Matt Ryan started cooking. And what was it, like 24-3, and then they end up losing 24-17? Derrick Henry looked back, 22 carries. And this is the Derrick Henry that you need to see, where he's able to stay on the field for 22 carries and rush for 115 yards. It's not the huge, big runs that he makes. It's the relentlessness of Derrick Henry over and over and over. It's why you think eventually he's going to break down... But in this week, he did not. 22 carries, 115 yards, and a touchdown. And unfortunately, to me, this is just... We talked about it a couple weeks ago. Frank Reich is losing himself his job. And it's unfortunate because this was a franchise that was in a really good position with a really good team, and Andrew Luck quit on them. And I'm not blaming Luck, 
but it's just unfortunate that the franchise could not adjust and could not get over that. They went from stopgap to stopgap at quarterback, and eventually the talent on the team ran out because the windows are small in the NFL, and the window seems to be closed for this Indianapolis team who's now 1-2-1 and on the season. I don't think the window is there anymore. Matt Ryan is older. I don't think he's the answer, and they're going to want to blow it up. They have Quentin Nelson at left guard or left tackle. They want to capitalize on what he's able to do for them. They're going to want to bring in a young quarterback and start to build that way, and I think it's going to be without Frank Reich moving forward. Speaking of coaches getting fired, I talked about the coaches fire off uh, on Sunday's pod. I talked about um, which two coaches would get fired from Arizona and Carolina. Who's going to get fired first? Well, based on this game, it would be Matt Rule. Matt Rule was awful. Baker was bad. And bad Baker, it's just it is what it is. We've seen it. We've seen the cycle so many times. He's going to come back. He's going to have a decent game. He's going to get angry at the media. Blah, 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 blah. Over and over. We know what Baker Mayfield is at this point. The other option is Sam Darnold. You really want to go to that option? And the only success that Baker Mayfield had in the passing game was with Christian McCaffrey throwing it to him. And McCaffrey was bad in the running game, but he was good in the passing game. So that helped him. Kyler was good enough for them to win, but neither team looks like a good football team right now. I think eventually both of these head coaches will not have their jobs, but it looks like the first out the door will be Matt Rule. Staying in the AFC South, because we talked about Frank Reich and Tennessee and Indianapolis, Philly and Jacksonville. I told you Philly was really good, but her start to come down to earth a little bit. And I told you Jacksonville would keep it close. And if it weren't for a really timed interception by Trevor Lawrence, and by the way, we could have had him. Zach Wilson didn't have the poorly timed interception, right? Late in the game. But if it weren't for a really poorly timed interception, this would have been closer. And this is one of my issues. And my betting week was just awful. But I took the plus seven. They end up losing by eight. But it really felt closer than an eight point game, other than that last second late interception by Trevor Lawrence. Staying in that division, the L.A. Chargers beat the Texans, and this is exactly what you'd expect, but Herbert is back, and like I said, I I didn't expect this from Herbert just one week after we saw what we saw last week. He looked really bad last week, and yet he comes out this week, and he dominates, so great to have Justin Herbert back. Like I said, he's one of the quarterbacks, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, one of the most fun quarterbacks to watch, so I'm happy to see him performing at the level that he performed in uh, on Sunday. And this is exactly the type of games that the Texans have. They're now 0-3-1, but they've been in every single game and have shown competitiveness. And that's exactly what you want if you're the Texans. Lose every single game, but feel competitive, feel like you're in it. Davis Mills is going to be a great backup quarterback somewhere in this league, a great stopgap guy somewhere in this league. But with the loaded quarterback draft, the Texans are going to capitalize and take a quarterback in the draft this year. They're going to have a terrible record. They're not going anywhere this season. But they're showing that we can be competent, we can be a competitive football team, and that's going to build confidence going forward for the next couple of years. And ultimately, with all the picks they got from Cleveland and everything they have going on right now, I think they could actually start to build something down in Houston. But if you look at that division, now the division this Sunday went 1-3, and and the only win in the division was a win against another division opponent. So this division remains... The worst division in football by far. We talked about the Chargers. We're going to go out west now with Las Vegas against Denver. Those two teams, I told you this was going to confuse me this game. I didn't know where to go with this game. Las Vegas ultimately wins by nine. Josh Jacobs confuses me because he runs for a million yards and two touchdowns in this game. When some weeks it's like he can't play at all. He's too hurt to play. They're not giving him the ball. Who knows what's going on? He got dropped in one of my fantasy leagues. I picked him off off waivers and he sat on my bench and scored 30 something fantasy points. It's insanity what Josh Jacobs does sometimes, and he's going to disappoint you because next week he'll have six fantasy points, and that's exactly what these two teams are. 
Denver and the Vegas Raiders. And congratulations, big round of applause for the Denver Broncos and for Russell Wilson, because guess what? They scored more than 14 points this week. We told you they were averaging 14 points on the season. They scored a whole 23 points. Can you imagine? But Vegas is not a great team either if you watch them. And Russ is really bad, and I don't know, like I said, that story is going from bad to worse. And I don't know how they're going to stop Nathaniel Hackett, and I don't know how they're going to stop the free fall there in Denver. If Russ continues to play this bad, it's going to get really ugly because they now have him for another seven more years. I can't reiterate that enough. Um, And Vegas, they didn't look great, and my car MVP is hanging on by a thread right now. It's looking really bad. I think it might be in the trash by now. Speaking of Russ and looking bad, He's not able to put up 14 points, but his old team put up 48 points with Geno Smith, and my dad was right. The Geno Smith comeback season is in full throttle right now. Geno Smith, 370 total yards and three total touchdowns in this game. He was awesome. He was played out of his mind. And this is exactly what I said. They put up 48 points. They beat the Detroit Lions in Detroit 48-45. to And my concern before this game, when I picked Detroit to win, was you give Detroit expectations what's going to happen. And this is exactly what happened. They couldn't stop anything. And every single time Seattle was on the field, they scored. Detroit's offense was good. But this is a team that talks about being tough. Dan Campbell, right? We're, we're going to bite your kneecaps and we're going to be that tough team. They were not at all. Seattle ran right through this Detroit Lions team. And it told you, I couldn't have predicted this. Like, I, I thought Detroit would struggle with expectations. But what I've predicted these two teams... To put up nearly 100 points between the two of them? I couldn't have ever guessed that. And we tell you all the time, this was one of those weeks in the NFL, and maybe it's based on my uh, picks from Sunday would reflect this, but this is one of those really unpredictable weeks. And another one, Cleveland. They look really good. They win the big game on Thursday night, and then they lay an egg against the Atlanta Falcons and lose 23-20. to And this is exactly just so Browns. The Browns are going to Brown. They got 10 days off. They have 10 days to prepare. They have a lead in this game. They have Chubb and Hunt going well in this game. And then Atlanta comes back and beats them. 23-20. to 20. Just, just classic, typical Browns. The Browns are going to Brown. And by the way, I watched that video of the loss. I had never seen that loss where the guy throws his helmet off in the middle of the play. And it gives Kansas City an extra 15 yards. And they kick a field goal and win the game. I had never seen that loss. That is probably the worst loss in Cleveland Brown history, worse than the loss to the Jets the other week. But the Browns, something is in that DNA because the Browns are going are gonna to Brown. So Atlanta gets the win and will stay in the NFC South and go to London. And we had a double doink game. And we had a great game, by the way. A game that I would not have expected to go this well. When you talk about games that are played in London, games between the Saints and the Minnesota Vikings, they're usually weird games. And yet we have a game that was really good and it ended in a double doink. I don't know, something about the soccer stadiums. They were kicking 60-yard field goals like it was nothing. That game had the leg from Will Lutz. And he had made one earlier from 60, but from 61, it hits off both uprights or the upright and then the crossbar. Double doink, ends the game. And is it too early to ask right now, though, what's wrong with Dalvin Cook? He had 3.8 yards per carry in this game. It's not like he wasn't getting touches in this game either. They kept giving him the ball and yet he couldn't get going. And it seems like every time they're near or close to the goal line, it's Alexander Madison in the game getting those goal line carries, getting those red zone touches. Justin Jefferson came alive late, but this is exactly what you expect from Kirk Cousins. Extremely mediocre, couldn't finish inside the red zone. And it's kind of what you've come to expect from Kirk Cousins week after week. 
All right, one of the bigger games in the NFL was Buffalo and Baltimore, and I saved it for last because there's a lot to talk about here. But I was obviously in the studio watching this game with three Ravens fans, people who talk about the Ravens for a living. And at halftime, the vibes of the game were just a certain way where I looked at them, I said, there's no way Buffalo loses this game. They're down 20 to 10 at this point. And maybe I was kind of just messing with them, but I really genuinely felt there was no way. And like, there's no way you're guaranteeing a Buffalo victory. I was like, okay, maybe no way is strong. But I really don't see Buffalo losing this game. I think they come back and win this game. And ultimately, I was right. But it's unclear what happened because Baltimore was unstoppable in the first half. And I know they took advantage of some Josh Allen turnovers, which are rare. But their offense was so good. Running the triple option with Lamar and with J.K. Dobbins, who's finally fully back, they couldn't be stopped at all. And I don't understand how you go from that to what we saw in the second half and not being able to move the ball in any way or shape or form. And I know Buffalo's defense is pretty good, and I guess adjustments. But it's like all of a sudden, everything they were doing, if they would have lined up in that diamond formation with Lamar in the middle and ran that triple option every single time, I genuinely believe that Buffalo would not have been able to stop them. And why you stop doing that and feel like you need to do something else, I don't know. I, I can't tell you. And that's now two losses for the Ravens where they should have won. They had the lead and they blew them. And that's got to be concerning. I know it's early in the season and all they're going to talk about in the press conference after the game is, well, it's early. It's just two losses. We're two and two. We have a lot to learn from. We can still take positives from these games because we've played so well in certain parts of this game, blah, 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 blah. All that's true. Yeah, I can't argue with any of that. But that's still two losses. A team that's capable of losing games like this. We talked about it with the Jets, a team that's capable of coming back and having and staying and believing. That's a really good thing for character of a team. This can't be good for the character of a team. And everyone's going to be a Monday morning quarterback and talk about the decision on fourth down and John Harbaugh. And look, I always say take the points. I've been saying that. I've been consistent about that. I would have taken the points. And in that situation, especially where there hasn't been a lot of offense in the fourth quarter, you take the points because you're now putting the pressure on Buffalo's offense to come out and score, right? Whereas here they could have taken their time because it was a tie game anyway. But now you're putting the pressure on Buffalo to actually score and try and score a touchdown. Whereas at the end, they weren't even trying to score a touchdown. They were just playing slowly. They slowed down once they got inside the 20. They just were playing for the field goal. So if they're trying to score a touchdown there, they would score quicker theoretically. And then the Ravens would have gotten the ball back and tried to score a touchdown themselves or try and come back down the field. But you have Tucker. He's automatic. I, I, I don't understand. It doesn't really make sense to me why you don't take the points in that situation. And I said that in the moment. I don't think I'm being a Monday morning quarterback. But the weirdo Baltimore fans who are calling in saying Harbaugh should be fired, that doesn't make sense either. We know he's an aggressive coach. you got to love the aggression. You trust the offense. You trust the defense. I mean, there's all the right reasons. I, I get why he does this, but this is not new for John Harbaugh. So for John Harbaugh and the Ravens fans to be like, oh, fire him. This is a guy who took you to the Super Bowl. This is a guy who's proven and had this team ready. They, they don't have issues. You want to see a coach who get fired? Watch the Jets one week and think if your coach should be fired. Now, who does this fall on ultimately? I think Greg Roman is really at fault here. I talked about the play calling in the second half. That fourth and goal call was as bad as the call. They they ran it from the right hash and they just ran a trips right with like a weird like kind of trying to run it, a, I guess a couple of rub routes where they run two overs and then run the inside guy to the back right corner of the end zone. And it was like a quick play like develop, that had to develop where Lamar has to put it like a touch pass to the right corner of the end zone immediately. But the pressure came right up the middle and he never had time ultimately had to run away from the pocket 
And then by the time he threw it, it was way late and off his back foot and got intercepted. Like, I, I don't know. This That was just a really weird play call from Greg Roman. And to me, from what I've seen from this Ravens team, watching them relatively closely the last two years, the one constant in all of this, not being able to close out the game earlier this year against Miami, the way they looked at times last year, the way the offense looked the entire second half of the game after being up 20-3 to in this ballgame, the constant to me has been Greg Roman and his offense. And that was just a microcosm of that play. So I went 6-9 and nine on my picks overall uh, this week. Really not good. I'm not proud of it. I'm not happy. I'm not proud of it. And I need to salvage it with Monday night. So I'm going to make my pick good. San Francisco is favored by minus 2.5 against the Rams. On Monday night football in San Francisco. So here's what I'm thinking. I'm nervous to take the, the Niners, right? Obviously. The Rams are the Super Bowl champions. They have a really good team. The Niners came off a really bad week last week. But Jimmy G always wins, and he didn't win last week, so you kind of think that would even out, right? Now, the Rams, if you look at what they've done this season, they've been pretty good. They're 2-1, and one, right? They have the bad loss in week one, and they come back and played pretty well so far since. But think about their wins. They're against Atlanta and Arizona, who I just told you earlier. They really suck. And they got blown out. They got their doors blown off by Buffalo. I'm going to expect the San Francisco defense to make things really difficult for Matthew Stafford. And if you look back over the last last year, obviously the Rams beat San Francisco to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC Conference Championship game. They win 20-17. to And in that game, Stafford threw for 337 yards and 142 of them were to Cooper Cup. And if you look at the earlier season matchups, San Francisco in week 10 blew out the LA Rams 31-10. to And then in week 18, in an overtime thriller, San Francisco wins that game too, 27-24. to But also, Matthew Stafford threw for 238 yards, and 118 of them were to Cooper Cup. The recipe is simple if you're the 49ers. You cannot let Cooper Cup beat you. That said, it is a recipe that is nearly impossible to accomplish. So while the recipe to success, like I said, the one game that San Francisco lost last year, Cup had 142 yards. And in the game that was close, the 27-24 game in overtime, Cooper Cup had 118 yards. So the recipe here is obviously hold Cooper Cup under 100 yards, under 120 yards, and you can win this game. But that's a lot easier said than done. I don't think this is the same Rams offense. I don't think the running game is that as good. There's obviously the Matthew Stafford injury concerns. And I don't think San Francisco is going to allow that to happen again. I think San Francisco's defense is going to have a game plan coming into this game and say, we will let anyone else on that field beat us. We will not let Cooper Cup beat us. And I think ultimately the San Francisco 49ers will find a way to win this game. Minus two and a half, I'm going to take the Niners. Major League Baseball, there's a couple things to talk about. I don't really want to talk about the Yankees because they didn't really, they have nothing to play for. And the Aaron Judge thing gets overblown. And I hope he gets 62 while he's in Texas. But I'm glad he's going to have this break to reset because it's, it's clearly getting to him. And I'm glad, glad he's going to have this break to reset before the playoffs start. And not being at home and not having all the fans cheering and yelling for him, I think that's going to be a good thing for Aaron Judge uh, in Texas. So maybe he does get 62. Um, and then they come back to the stadium, and it's about the team, and it's about winning, and that'll be good for them. 
But the biggest story in New York this morning was not the Jets, was not the Giants win, was not the Yankees and Aaron Judge not getting 61. It was the New York Mets. Because negativity always runs the news, right? When you talk about sports talk radio. And what the New York Mets had happened to them this weekend is just, I mean, I was rooting for the Mets. And this is what, with all year, everything that happened with the Mets, the Mets were really good and they put themselves in a great position. They were great all year and you could talk about all the different losses they had throughout the season. But they put themselves in a position to go into Atlanta with three games and all they had to do was win one of them and the division was in their control. If they win two, they essentially win the division. And they have Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer starting in the first two games of the series and they lose. And by the way, this game, this series is as much as on the offense as it is on the pitching, for sure. Don't get me wrong. The pitching was actually relatively good. But it's why you have Max. It's why you have Jacob Tikram. And you go into that series and you figure out somehow you lost those two games in Atlanta. And you ultimately got swept and now the division is over. You don't deserve to win the division. And like I said, I was rooting for the Mets. I wanted them to win until I saw the Mets fans' reactions on Twitter. And then I was like, oh, I'm glad they lost. But... I really wanted the Mets to win. But you know what they proved? As a Jets fan, as a Knicks fan, I wanted to see a team that they could change the culture. Things could change. Things can get better. So, of course, I wanted the Mets to win. But they proved that with all that, they changed the culture, they changed the owner, they changed everything. And yet, it's the same old Mets. And that was just upsetting to me. That was deflating to me because I know what it's like to be the Mets. I know what it's like to be the Jets, the Knicks. I've seen it. And it doesn't matter who we put in the building in the uniform. doesn't matter what kind of swag we have. doesn't matter how many times we've come back and won games. When it comes down to it, we lose the big one. And by the way, they're going to go into a wild card series and they're going to have Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer pitch for them. And they'll have a very good shot at winning that series and then going into the division series. It's not over for the Mets. But the division is over and it just kind of shows you same old Mets. Another thing that's happening... Um, is the LA Dodgers. The LA Dodgers are having one of the greatest regular seasons of all time. They have over 110 wins already. And it's kind of flying under the radar. No one's really talking about it. They have a chance to beat the record, the win total record, right? And why is it flying over under the radar so much? I think it's maybe the fifth greatest season of all time. And I have a theory as to why it's flying under the radar. Um, and You can tell me what you think. We've gotten so used to the Dodgers being really good, and we haven't seen them be this good, obviously. 110 wins, 111 wins. But we've gotten used to them being so good for the last few seasons and not pulling through in the playoffs. The one win they had, the one time they took advantage, was when they won the World Series in the COVID year, the shortened season, which people just don't even look as a real championship. And so with everything they've accomplished and everything they've done, they still have not, in our eyes, accomplished what a great team should accomplish. And so I think people kind of look at them as like, all right, they're great again in the regular season. Let's prove it in the regular in the postseason that you can make it stand. And I think that's why people are not giving them the glitz and the glamour that you would give a team that wins 110 plus games in a regular season. That could all change this postseason because the Dodgers really are that good. But I don't know if it will. Also, something that happened in Major League Baseball this year was the St. Louis Cardinals and Yadi Molina... Adam Wainwright and Albert Pujols walking off the field together one last time. And I kind of got into it with a friend on Twitter about, look, if Albert Pujols is taking steroids and he's cheating to hit all these home runs and Ty Babe Ruth hit his 702nd home run and Ty Babe Ruth for most RBIs, if he's cheating to do it, I'm all for it. And if MLB is covering it up, 
I'm all for it. Because guess what? It's really fun and really good for the game. All right, that's all I got. I'm going to come back on Friday with my next podcast. But until then, I will see you. Of course, like, subscribe, share it with a friend if you like it. All that good stuff. Until next time, see ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go Change it up, oh, oh, oh. always on my Birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be that one that's got My time's being just a kid with that empire state of mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck, dipping from the New York City's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit, walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving, east side be the only side that I'm riding. I'm still here.